Be'ezrat Hashem, we're going to continue discussing the Gemara of Shabbos. We are on page 47a, Daf Mem Zayin Amud Aleph. On the previous Daf, we discussed continuing laws of Muksa, and we were discussing about candles and oils and wicks and how they became a basis to become a basis for a prohibited object. And we said at the, at the end of last year that even Rabbi Shimon, who ho- holds that there is no uh, Isra of Muksa, even he would agree that a flame that burns on Shabbos is Muksa. And so because it would be prohibited to move the flame, so then moving the lamp, the oil, or the wick that is the basis of that flame would also be prohibited. So the Gemara continues, Amar Rebbe Zera, Amar Rebbe Asi, Amar Rebbe Yochanan, Amar Rebbe Chanina, Amar Rebbe Romanos. So Rebbe Romanos says that Rebbe, Rebbe Yehuda Nasi, permitted me to carry a coal pan with its ashes. So Rebbe Zera says to Rebbe Asi, did Rebbe Yochanan actually say that? But didn't we learn in a Mishnah that a person can carry his son in his hands, and even if the son has a stone, which, you know, you can't, you can't carry that stone, even if the son has a stone in his hands, or uh, a person can carry a basket with a stone inside of it. So Rabbi Babar Khanna said that Rabbi Yochanan said, so we're dealing with a basket that's full of fruit. So because it's full of fruit, so carrying the stone with it is permitted. The reason for this cooler, the Gemara says, is because there is a fruit inside the basket. However, if there's no fruit inside of it, then no, we cannot move it. So with regard to that coal pan that we just discussed, that is filled with ashes, how can moving it be permitted according to Rabbi Yochanan? The Gemara then quotes part of a Pasuk from the book of Daniel, Perak Dalid, so Daniel 4.16, which says he was astonished for a while, meaning he couldn't find an answer to this. So ultimately, Rabbi Yassi then says, so here, too, it's referring to a case where the coal pan has little bits of frankincense inside of it that were not burned. So because of those pieces, moving the pan is allowed. Abaye says, but are these bits in the house of Rebbe significant? No, of course. So it's, it's, a, it's a rhetorical question because, no, they're not significant. And so since they're not significant, so those pieces are nullified by the ashes. And then the mixture... And it really is not suitable for any use. The Chitaim of the Gemara says, and if you should say that the bits are suitable for the poor, now later on we're going to explain that the value of an object is determined not by the context of how it's used, but by the intrinsic value. That's how the Gemara evaluates things. This Gemara says, wasn't it taught in a Brisa that uh, there's a difference regarding the halachas of Tuma, of ritual impurity, between garments that belong to poor people, and those garments we learn over there can become uh, tame, they become ritually impure, even if they're very small. And, there's, and on the other side of the equation are garments belonging to the wealthy. And those are not considered to be significant unless they contain a large amount of fabric. So the Gemari here says, so poor people's clothing, the garments that are size of poor people's clothing are for the poor, and garments the size of rich people's clothing are for the rich. However, clothes of the poor for the rich are not significant. So apparently, the significance of an object is actually determined by its context and its owner. 
However, rather, Abaye says a different explanation. He says that the halacha here is just as it is in the case of a chamber pot, like a little, you know, a, a portable bathroom, because that's disgusting. So removing it from the house is allowed, even though clearly there's no use for it. You're not make, by by moving this thing. You're not you know you're not uh, getting a purpose. You know you're not achieving a purpose or a goal. Um, but because it's disgusting, you're allowed to move it. Amar Rava, Rava says. There are two answers, though, that reject this analogy. So one, this chamber pot is disgusting, and the coal pan, which we just mentioned, it's not a disgusting thing. So furthermore, uh, this chamber pot, you know, if it's uncovered, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a foul smell. It's uncovered. The coal pan is covered, so there's, they're not exactly equal. So rather, Rava gives an, an alternative explanation. He says... When we were at the house of Raf Nachman, we would move this coal pan on account of the ashes, and we did this even though there were broken pieces of wood inside of it. And those, so those ashes, the, the use of the ashes was they could be used to cover dirt. So it's not muksa, and the coal pan can be moved because of those ashes, since the ashes had a purpose. Even if there were also broken little sticks, pieces of wood on the pan that have no use, but so they're bit they're 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 nullified by the ashes because the ashes are greater so they are nullified. The Gemara though raises an objection to this last part of the little piece that Rebbe said, and it says um, that Rebbe Yehuda and Rebbe Shimon they both agree that if there were fragments of a wick inside of a lamp, that it's also to move it. So we see from what they say that these fragments aren't bittel. They're not nullified, and then they, they thus render this entire lamp to be muksa, and you can't, you can't move it. Abai says that you can't bring a proof from that b'risa because they taught that b'risa in Galilee. So by way of explanation, uh, we learned that in Galilee, there was uh, oil was abundant and it was cheap. It was something you could get easily. And so therefore, that's the reason why broken wicks were not uh, bottled. They weren't nullified relative to the, to the oil. That's the Rav Nisimgan brings that down. So the Gemara relates that Levi Bar Shmuel, he once found Rabbi Abba and Rav Huna Bar Chia, and they were standing at the entrance of Rav Huna's house. So Levi, Levi Bar Shmuel says to them, so what's the halacha regarding reassembling a weaver's loom, putting it back together? A weaver's loom at that time was, had a collapsible frame. So, he, so Levi was asking... What is the halacha about putting this thing back together on Shabbos? So they said it can be done. So Levi comes before Rav Yehuda and he asks him the same question. Rav Yehuda says to him that both Rav and Shmuel say that a person who reassembles a mita shel tarsim, which is this weaver's loom, on Shabbos, is chayav achatas, is liable to bring a sin offering because... He performed a labor that's uh, prohibited to arise or prohibited by Torah law on Shabbos. So the Gemara raises an objection to the statement of, Reb, of Levi Bar Shmuel. And they bring the Tosefta, which says, a person who reassembles the branch of a menorah that had been disassembled on Shabbos, that person's also liable to bring a chatas, a sin offering. With regard to the pole of a plasterer, somebody who, who a, pot, a, a pottery uh, pole, Those, that pole has several different pieces to it. A person cannot 
reassemble it, initially you can't put it back together. But if you did, he's potter, he's exempt from bringing the sin offering. Although, it's still Aser. So, uh, Rabbi Simai says, regarding a rounded horn, which is a kind of trumpet that you can take apart, and uh, it's a very, apparently a very uh, complicated thing to assemble. A person who reassembles this rounded horn is chayev, he's liable. However, a straight horn, which is relatively easy to put back together, a person who does put it back together is potter, is exempt. So from here, we're, we're seeing that apparently assembling an object consisting of several different pieces on Shabbos is prohibited Daraisa, prohibited by Torah law. And a person, you have to bring a chatas, a sin offering, for doing so. And Gemara says, it brings an answer and says, they said that it's permitted in accordance with the opinion of this Tana, because it was taught in Abraisa that a bed frame, and back in those days, a bed frame was this big wooden frame, and they had... Um, the bed had ropes on it, and the rope would come in and out of the holes of this frame, like it would it would lace up. So a bed frame and the legs of a bed and the tablets of an archer, and those things refer to the part of a bow, like a bow and arrow, that you pull back. Um, if those were detached from the bed or from the bow, a person can't reassemble them. But if he did reassemble them, he is putter. As we flip over to that 47b, Memzayinam would base. Even though they're exempt, a person is exempt, doing this is usher, it's, pro- it's prohibited. A person cannot also fasten the pieces together forcefully, he can't force it to, into place. And if he does fasten them, he's liable to bring a chatas for performing a labor that's prohibited, according to the Torah. Rabban Shimon Megamliel says that if it was loose already and could be assembled easily, it's permitted. Now, Rabbi Abba and Rav Huna Barchia earlier relied on this opinion of Rabban Shimon ben Gamaliel. Gamaliel relates, relates another story. In the house of Rav Chama, and Rav Chama was incidentally was the grandfather of Rava. So in the house of Rav Chama, there was a collapsible bed. A collapsible bed had a lot of similar pieces to a weaver's loom, which was a collapsible type uh, implement. And they would reassemble this on a Yom Tov. So one of the Chachamim, one of the rabbis said to Rava, so what's your opinion of this? Do you hold that it's allowed because it's building something but in an atypical way? So in other words, a person's not really performing the prohibited malacha of building because you're not, you're not building it the way you normally would build something. So although there's no Torah prohibition, there's no De'araisa prohibition, there is, in, in, in this case... An Isidir Rabbana, a rabbinic prohibition. So Rabbi says back to him, I hold in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shibam ben Gamliel, who said that if it was loose, it's permitted even even lechaschila. Excuse me. So we start a new Mishnah here, a small Mishnah. The Mishnah says that a person can place a vessel beneath the oil lamp in order to receive the burning sparks of oil that fall from the lamp so that they won't cause a fire. We've seen this piece of the Mishnah before. And the Mishnah finishes by saying, and he cannot place water into the kli because he would extinguish the sparks. So the Gemara is going to ask a question. How is it allowed to position this vessel to receive the sparks? Right? How can you do this? How can you even put the vessel underneath it? 
don't you then negate the kli's the the way that the kli is um, prepared? It's called mevatel kli mehechano. So it's not the kli then is not pre- prepared for any type of use on Shabbos because the sparks give it the status of muksa. Right. So by putting this vessel underneath it to receive these sparks. The Gemara is asking you would that you would negate th- th- what this kli, what this vessel was initially prepared to do. So the opinion that, that uh, of mevata kli that, that that negating the preparedness of a kli is also we already learned this. Rafuna, the son of Rabbi, of Rav Yoshua, said that sparks ain't by a mamish. They have they have no substance. There's nothing to them. Because sparks are something that burn right away and they don't leave behind any trace of oil inside the kli, inside the vessel. And so therefore, according to Rav Huna, the son of Rav Yoshua, the vessel itself remains suitable to be able to be moved. The Gemara says, we also learned in the Mishnah that a person cannot place water into the vessel that's underneath the candle because you could extinguish the sparks like this. The Gemara asks, so is that to say? that we learned this unattributed Mishnah in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yossi. And Rabbi Yossi said that even an action that causes extinguishing indirectly is, is prohibited, it's Aser. So in this case, the extinguishing, where you put water in the vessel, it wasn't accomplished by means of a direct action. The action of putting the water into the vessel uh, produced the second-hand ca- effect of having the the sparks uh, get extinguished. But the Gemara is now going to reject this question. The Gemara says, in, in a somewhat astonished way, how can you understand it like this? You should say that Rabbi Yossi said that indirectly causing something to be extinguished is Aser on Shabbos. So on Erev Shabbos, did he say this? Did he say the same rule for Friday? And if you say that here also it's referring to a case where he placed water in the vessel on Shabbos, wasn't it also taught in a Brisa that a person can place a kli, a vessel, underneath an oil lamp to receive the sparks that fall from the lamp on Shabbos? And therefore, needless to say, placing it there, you could also do on Erev Shabbos. Because if you could do it on Shabbos, you certainly can do it on Friday. And one cannot put water into the vessel because he's going to come to extinguish the sparks, even if he placed it there on Friday, on Erev Shabbos. And also, needless to say, Doing this is definitely prohibited on Shabbos itself. So apparently this prohibition in the Mishnah is not really connected to the approach of Rabbi Yossi. However, Rav Ashi said that even if you say that this Mishnah is in accordance with the opinion of the Rabbana, of the rabbis, it's different over here because in this case, in our case, a person is not only causing the, start, the sparks to go out, he's also making it happen quicker as the sparks are extinguished immediately when they fall into the water, says Rabbeinu Hanano, right? So in this way, even the rabbis would pro- prohibit doing this. We finish this parak now, uh, of the parak of the stove of the kira, and we shall return to you. So the next chapter in the Gemara begins here on Daf Memzayin, Amud Beis, and it says in first Mishnah, we're going to be talking about um, insulation here in a minute. So when a pot, we learned that uh, when you remove a pot from the fire on, Sha- on Erev Shabbos, on Friday, so it can be insulated in materials that would preserve the heat. 
but you can't put insulated in materials that would then come to increase the heat because raising the temperature of something that's inside of a pot is bishul, it's cooking. So the Mishnahs are going to talk about those kinds of materials in which you can put a, uh, a pot to insulate it on Erev Shabbos and those things which you can't. So the Mishnah here, the first Mishnah of the Perak says, Bametomnin, in what can you insulate a pot of food cooked on Erev Shabbos and in what can you not insulate? Mishnah says a person cannot insulate it in the solid residue of produce that's been pressed free of its oil. So when, when something has been pressed to draw the oil out, you, can't, you cannot insulate it in that residue. You can't insulate it in like manure, like horse manure or something like that. You can't insulate it in salt, in lime, in sand, regardless of whether those things are wet or dry. So all of these things, the reason you can't insulate them, we come to learn that all of these things generate heat on their own when they are piled up for an extended period of time. And so therefore, they're going to come to add heat to the pot that's going to be insulated in them. And we just said that you cannot insulate something on Shabbos, uh, or on Arab Shabbos rather, when, when you know that it, there's a, a chance it's going to increase the heat. The Mishnah continues, a person cannot insulate a pot in straw, nor in a bezugin, which is the grape residue. When you press the grapes for, for grape juice or wine, you, you can't for their residue. Lobemochin, not in a soft material, like, uh, like ripped clothes. You can't do it in grass when these things are wet. However, you can insulate them when they're dry. So the things that we just talked about so namely straw, the residue of grapes, soft material, grass. When they're wet, you can't use them to insulate. And when they are dry, you can't. So the Gemara now starts and it asks. It raises the dilemma. Yibailahu, a dilemma was raised in front of the Chachamim. Did we learn with regard to gephes, which is the residue of olives in this Mishnah? However, the residue of sesame seeds, so sesame seeds back in those days were also pressed for their oil, and they produced less heat, did we learn that they can be used for insulating food in Erev Shabbos? Or Dilma, maybe we learned with regard to the residue of sesame in the Mishnah, and all the more so insulating food in the residue of olives is prohibited. So Tashma, come hear a resolution to this. From that which Rabbi Zeyra said in the name of one of the Chachamim of the school of Rabbi Yanai. And he says, regarding a basket in which a person insulates food in a, in a permitted way, meaning in like a dry, soft material or something like that. So it's also to place it upon the residue of this gephis, the residue of olives. So Shmaminash, you could conclude from this that we learned that the Mishnah is talking about the residue of olives in our Mishnah. It's not directly talking about the residue of sesame, uh, sesames. However, we can come to infer that insulating food in the residue of sesame is allowed. But the Gemara at the bottom of this daf rejects this. It says, actually, I can say to you that with regard to insulating itself, the residue of sesame is also oser. However, with regard to causing the heat to rise, meaning heating food that's not actually insulated in it, but merely like food is sitting on it, the residue of olives of gephis causes heat to rise, to, to increase. So therefore, it's oser to even place cooked food 
already cooked food on these olives because it's going to inevitably raise the temperature underneath this food. However, the Gemara says the residue of the sesame doesn't cause this heat to rise to that degree, and so therefore it's permitted to place food on it. And by Esra Hashem, we're going to continue on the top of Daf Mem Chet Amad Aleph in the next year about an anecdote between Rabbah and Rabbi Zera, who came to the house of the Reish Galusa and they talked about um, what happened over there, Be'ezrat Hashem, in the next year. Baruch Hashem.